If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Man, oh man, do I like a good Monday morning. Welcome and good Monday to you. This is Don't At Me. I am Dan Dockage. My son's over there sleeping. So there you go. TV's over there. And I hit a new milestone this morning. I have never woken up, stepped on a scale, and been 250 pounds in my life. I have been 250 during the day, but I am now deciding I'm not going to eat. I'm going on a fat hunger strike, so this is all I'm doing. Water. That's it. 2.50 in the morning. Horrible. That's all I got. Just horrible. I mean, I'm so fat my eyes are closing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know that goes when you see a big guy or big gal and their eyes are closed. That's what I am. No, 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 no. Hey, don't at me. I don't want to hear, well, you know, you can't call people fat. I can call me fat. Yeah, I can. I can call me fat. I can call me big and fat. Damn. I'm like the Michelin man. All right, I got a lot to get to today. Holy cow. Like, everybody that pays attention to this show or my other show knows I go on 8,624 diets just in a year. My God. Anyway, welcome, and I hope you're having a great morning. By the way, here's another thing. I live in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is not, you know, it's basically the heart of the Midwest. Today, it is snowing. It has never snowed, in my opinion, on April 18th. It has never snowed on April 18th in my entire life. I've lived here. I've lived in Gary, Indiana, Maryville, Indiana. I've lived in Southern Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana, and it's never snowed. I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, before I get into Deportes, sports, I don't want to hear from one person ever again mad about somebody flipping off fans because I have not heard one person say a single thing about anybody flipping or about Kyrie Irving flipping off the fans. See, I've never cared about flipping off the fans. I think fans deserve a good flip off once in a while. But Kyrie Irving flipped off the fans and no one's saying a word. Don't know why. I kind of know why, but don't know why. And then Kyrie Irving in Kyrie Irvingdom decided that he was going to be the wink link defensively. Like if you watch the last possession, you have Kyrie Irving as the one guy who has absolutely no idea what's going on defensively. Now, no one's going to say it except for me. Jason Tatum. Now, let's go to the Nets and the Celtics. Jason Tatum beat, wins it at the buzzer. And when you watch that possession, nobody has said this on TV. Nobody's going to say this on TV. No one's going to say it on Mike and Mike or whatever the hell the show is. But Kyrie Irving, as you watch the last possession, is the one guy that has absolutely no idea where he's at defensively. He is literally running around. And then, because he has no idea, the pass goes from this side all the way across to his man, and he is spinning around like a top, and Jason Tatum lays it in. Now, Kyrie Irving had 18 in the fourth quarter. That's great. But here's the deal. Kyrie Irving, good enough to get you fired, and we're going to see if that happens. I don't necessarily believe that, 
But good enough to get you fired means this. You go get a ton of points. The owner and everybody says, man, look at our guy. How can we possibly lose? We got that guy. Well, I would bet you on every big defensive possession that the, that the Brooklyn Nets had, Kyrie Irving screwed it up at some point. Oh, man, he had 39. I know he had 39. They lost. They may not lose again in the series. So, and I don't think Kyrie Irving is the guy that's good enough to get you fired. But that last possession, if you watch it as a coach, not as a player or not as a fan or not as someone that wants to buy Kyrie Irving shoes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Kyrie Irving as a basketball player as defined by a coach. And when you watch it, you go, man, that dude, first and foremost, has no idea where he's going, no idea what he's doing. And next thing you know, they expose him and it's a layup. You can never give up a layup in a last-second shot. Guy wants to make a shot over you, makes a shot over you. But you can never give up a layup on a last-second shot, shot. You just simply can't. But having said that, it was one hell of a basketball game, and it was one hell of a weekend for basketball. Welcome. I'm going to get into all of this. I'm also going to have Jimmy Boylan, the former head coach of the Chicago Bulls, join us coming up at 10, 9.30 today. Uh, our friend Chad Withrow from Outkick 360 is going to join I don't know. Lee and I watched some USFL. I wasn't mad at the USFL. I thought the USFL looked like football. I don't know. I could be wrong. We're going to get into all of that. Second game that I wanted to talk about was the Heat and the Hawks. And this is something I don't think you're ever going to see again. I honestly don't. I don't think you're ever going to see Trey Young go scoreless in a half. I don't think you are. I just don't. He had eight at halftime. Maybe he got two in the second half, whatever. I don't think you're going to see Trey Young go under 10 points, double digits in a playoff game again. I just don't. The Heat are so well coached. They're so tough. You know what the Heat did, apparently? The Heat took a little break with their own team, got themselves right, went on a little vacation, a little mini two-day vacation after the regular season before the playoffs. Udonis Haslam was a leader of that, and he got themselves right. Every team needs that, and I'm not just talking about sports teams. Every team, whether it's a business, whether it is, I don't know, our show, every team needs leaders that care about one thing and one thing only, and that is T-E-A-M. Team. There's no I in team, people. There's no I in team. There's me in team. And you got to be careful. Because when you look at a team, a lot of times everybody does what? Gets into themselves. Remember right before the end of the regular season what happened with the Miami Heat? Jimmy Butler was going to fight everybody. Except Udonis Haslam. Jimmy Butler wanted a piece of the coach. The coach wanted a piece of Jimmy. Everybody wanted a piece of somebody. Oh, my God, the sky is falling. The Heat aren't any good. Yeah, well, no. 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 Not even a little bit. Uh, yesterday the Hawks game started and the Hawks game was over. Yesterday the Heat game started and the Heat game was over. And then Duncan Robinson came in and just unloaded. some point we'll get Duncan on this show, try to today, but uh, they got practice basically during this show. But Duncan, who was my son's college roommate, unloaded yesterday. And why do I say he's my son's college roommate? Because a lot of college, or excuse me, a lot of college players and high school players like Duncan Robinson, and I want them all to know, so they all go to Illinois State, <laughs> where my son is an assistant, and he just got two big commitments over the weekend. And Illinois State's got a chance to make the NCAA tournament this year out of the Valley. Don't at me, people. Uh, there's always, always, always a home team that loses. Always. 
And the Memphis Grizzlies were that home team that lost this weekend. They lost to the Timberwolves. <clears throat> now, there's really no shame in that. I mean, if you watch Anthony Edwards, he's a bad man. I mean, he's a really bad man. Like, he don't care. When I say he don't care, I mean he really don't care. I mean, holy cow, that dude don't care. Like, when you look at the Timberwolves, you say to the Timberwolves, wait a second, this is a young team. Well, same thing when you look at the, uh, at the what's it called? When you look at the Memphis Grizzlies, they're both young. They're both young and they're both different. Now, let's talk about what does different mean. Different means they're not the same teams that you see in the playoffs every year, year after year after year. I mean, if I got to watch the Pacers again in the playoffs, which I love because downtown Indy, we get the joint jumping a little bit. But if you watch these playoffs year after year after year, it's the same teams. Same boring teams. Well, no. All of a sudden, John Morant comes in. All of a sudden, Carl Anthony Towns comes in. All of a sudden, you got guys that you kind of knew one of them from college. You didn't really know Anthony Edwards from college because why would you? I mean, the dude was like, I don't know. Uh, where, I don't know. I mean, he played at, played at Georgia, played for Tom Crean for a year. They didn't make the tournament, but Anthony Edwards, a bad boy. I mean, a really bad boy. You see that? I can open my eyes right now. But now I got that. I need a head talk. When you're just full of, like, you know what I mean? That changes today. I'm going on a 36-hour fast. Just water, I think. I don't know. But anyway... So Anthony Edwards, in his first real playoff game, drops 36 points. Not play-in game, playoff game. He drops 36 points as a rookie. I want to say that again. There's one of two things going on here. Either Anthony Edwards is really good, and I mean really good, which he is, I think, or, my God, like what are we doing in the NFL or in the NBA defensively? I don't know, but I know this. That dude's a bad boy. And if you get a chance to watch, I don't like the playoffs. Shut up. Playoffs are awesome. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. And you know why. But anyway, so that's where they're at. So Anthony Edwards just unloads. You don't even know the name Tyrese Maxey. He played one year at Kentucky. That dude dropped 38. While everyone's talking about James Harden, while everyone's talking about Joel Embiid, you know what Tyrese Maxey did? Tyrese Maxey just said, "Uh, hold on a second. Let me jump up here after averaging six points a game during the year and score 38. See, that's what you're supposed to do as a player. That's exactly what you're supposed to do as a player, a real player. Like, you're in the NBA. You're making millions. You got two options. You can go, eh, I don't know. Or you can jump up and get 38. The Bulls yesterday... The Bulls yesterday uh, lost, played hard. We'll talk to Jimmy Boylan, former head coach of the Chicago Bulls, coming up in a little bit. Bulls played hard. That's great. But you know what playing hard gets you in the playoffs? Down one. Bucks called it an ugly win. I got to tell you something. The Greek freak is unstoppable. Like, the first person that I ever saw that was unstoppable was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with a sky hook. I always thought Larry Bird was stoppable. I didn't think Magic, because early he couldn't shoot, I thought, you know, Michael Jordan was unstoppable. Let's be honest. I didn't see Will. I've always said, I'd love to have seen Will. I didn't see Pete Maravich in his prime. I I didn't see that. 
So I'm just telling you guys that I saw. I thought Moses Malone on the backboard was unstoppable. I did. I, I, there's only certain guys that I look at and say, man, Shaq, on the block. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you follow him, I guess. Unstoppable. You know, the Akeem Shake or whatever it was, unstoppable. It's just a matter of whether he missed it or not. You know what I'm saying? It's not a matter of whether you're going to stop it. It's just a matter of whether the shot's going to go out. You know, I mean, he's going to get it. The sky hook is going to happen. But is he going to make it? That's the only thing. You're not stopping it. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm watching the Greek freak, and I'm like, all right, how do you, what, what, what? You hope he misses a jump shot, I suppose. And then when you play off him, he drives into your body, goes up over you. Next thing you know, one of these arms goes from about, I don't know, six feet long to about 10 feet long, and he dunks on you or makes a layup. It's unstoppable. The thing you got to do is just try and hope that he misses. That's it. No, there's nothing more. There's nothing less. That's it. That's all I got for you. If he misses, then he stopped. And there are so few guys like that. Like Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson in transition were unbelievable. No, I mean unbelievable. Incredible. Like ridiculous. You get those guys running in transition, it is nuts. It's insane. But, man, speaking, here's another one. Uh, here's another young, talented guy, Jordan Poole. Now, I'm going to brag about this. Come on. I'm going to brag about this. When uh, the draft was coming out, I've told this story before. We were doing the Michigan-Wisconsin game at Wisconsin, and ESPN brought this guy named Mike Schmitz. Mike Schmitz, uh, nice guy, but he didn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. He's Woj's guy, so if you're Woj's guy and Woj wants you, you get a contract with ESPN. It's that way, that's the way it goes. So they tell us, hey, Mike Schmitz is going to be here, and he's going to break down the draft in the second quarter, and all right. So Mike Schmidt sits between me and Benetti, and he's talking about Romeo Langford and all these guys in the Big Ten. And he asked me, what do you think? I go, none of them. None of them. Best player, best player coming out in the drafts right there, Jordan Poole. And they kind of laughed me off, which is what people do, because, frankly, I think about things more. I say them, and then when people don't understand that I've actually thought about this, they laugh me off. But I'm not mad about it. I ain't mad about it. But the truth of the matter is, Jordan Poole just dropped 30 last night. Last I seen, Romeo Langford was hoping he gets a shoe deal so he can go to Indiana. Stop it, stupid. When you bring Jordan Poole, or excuse me, when you start Jordan Poole and bring Steph Curry off the bench, now let's talk about that for a sec. Steph Curry off the bench. For Jordan Poole. They called it the death lineup. See, I like that stuff. When I was a kid, I don't know about you guys, but professional wrestling was Sunday afternoon. It wasn't now Pat McAfee beating the hell out of somebody on a Monday night. Uh Uh-uh. It was Sunday afternoon. Don or Bob, I can't remember what, loose wrestling. And it was awesome. And then we'd go buy the magazines at the store. If, if my mom gave us a quarter allowance, I'd go buy the magazines. There's blood. They had masks. Yeah, they did. I don't know what my point is. I forgot. But if I could remember a point, it'd simply be that wrestling's great. And I love it. Yeah. I forgot my total point. Oh, maybe my point is this. There's a lot of young stars that you're supposed to go out and buy a magazine of. There are a lot of young dudes. I'll remember my point in about 10 minutes. I will. That's how this show goes. 
every once in a while in the middle of it, I forget my point. And it's because my brain is going 70 million miles an hour. Hey, by the way, I got to go back to what Kyrie Irving said. Kyrie Irving said to about the fans, I'm returning their energy. You know the white media ain't going to be mad at Kyrie Irving flipping anybody off. I'm not mad about it. I think it's great. I think fans should be flipped off and punched if needed. Look, guy runs on the court, you punch him. I don't know that you do that, but this is Miles Bridges. I don't know that you throw a, what? You throw a mouth guard at him. I don't, I don't know that you do that. I mean, you know, but, you know, I don't know. Every once in a while, a fan getting flipped off, told to go F himself, maybe, hey, let's go in the room, see who comes out. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's not a daggone thing wrong with that, and I like it. I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying once in a while, you know, Slim Pickens sitting there in the third row, taking up two seats because he can't stop eating bonbons, which means he's just like me. Once in a while, that dude deserves a little smack in the head. If you're going to be that kind of a jag, you know what? Let me give you a little pop to the chops here, and we'll figure it out. Oh, man, that's assault. No, it's not. Not advocating it. I'm just saying. Once in a while, you folks get a little unruly. Yeah. Uh, Nikolai Jokic, I did want to talk about him. My people. He had 25 and 10. Didn't make any threes. Took 25 shots. Was a minus 19. Now, when you look at the whole scope of things, uh, you look at what Golden State... How are you folks not thinking Golden State's going to win a championship? Klay Thompson's back. Green's back. Uh... Steph Curry's coming off the bench. I mean, what are you talking? What are you doing? They got no emerging star. Go run right now to DraftKings or FanDuel and put down your money. Put down your money on the freaking Golden State Warriors. Are you out of your mind? All right. So, Sunday morning, yesterday, I'm minding my own business. I ain't bothering nobody. I got a little coffee maker. I'm so lazy that I got a little coffee maker upstairs in the room. I I give myself a little job. And I'm sitting there in the room getting ready. I got to go to church early. And I'm watching one of these morning shows on Sunday. I like CBS Sunday morning. I think it's a good show. I think it's interesting. I don't think it has a political slant. I don't need a political slant on my Sunday morning shows. What I need is just to be entertained. And then here it comes. Here it comes. George Stephanopoulos. 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 George Stephanopoulos. George Stephanopoulos, political, political, uh, what do you call it? Operative. Political operative for the Clinton administration. Here's his show. So I'm watching. And here's what I see. Inflation, eight and a half. Wars. Energy crisis. Gas lines. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the hell is wrong with us? Us, meaning the entire United States of America, that we wanted to go backwards. We literally went to 1979 when Jimmy Carter was in the White House And the word inflation entered my 17, 16-year-old brain. 
when the gas prices at the gas station across from the uh, Y&W, the outdoor movie theater, went from like 36 cents to 88 cents. And I'm like, what's going on here? When I went to go fill up the gorgeous, and I mean beautiful, 1974, I think it was, Plymouth Gold Duster with a Cobra top that I bought for like $1,000. When I went to go fill it up, this bad boy that went from zero to 60 in about a minute and a half that had a beautiful, beautiful on the wheel, the old lady's soft pads. And my girlfriend, I won't say her name, puked right there on the side of it. And I didn't clean up the noodles. I went to go get the gold duster gassed up and there were gas lines. The other day on the news, gas lines. Jimmy Carter, Afghanistan war. This clown, we got a war. Why did we go backwards? That's what hit me. People say, well, you know, the insurrection of January 6th. Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Why would we go backwards as a country? We have the greatest country ever developed in the history of the world. And we are going backwards. This is why I left ESPN and came here, so at least I could talk about this stuff. All you got to do is turn on the news. All you got to do is look at it backwards to 1979 to I'm 50. I'll be 60 years old coming up this summer. The worst section, the worst financial. Look, I was too young to understand civil rights in the 60s. I was born in 62. What the hell did I know? I did go to the Civil Rights Museum with John Saunders, my friend, my late friend from ESPN. had a great time. And, you know, we, I learned a lot. I think he learned a lot. And we had a blast learning about each other. So I didn't really grow up understanding the 60s. But I did understand inflation. I did understand gas lines. I did understand what a word called the energy crisis. And I did understand war, which meant Jimmy Carter, which meant a politician. Those of you that remember, how did Jimmy Carter get elected? How you doing? He smiled. He literally smiled his way to an election. Look it up. Go ahead. Those of you that are just simply hearing me and go, well, you know, I, 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 Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, no. I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Biden. No chance I was voting for either. I didn't vote for Hillary. I voted for me. Two elections. Got 52 votes in Indiana a few years ago. Anyway, here's the deal. So we decide it's time to go backwards in this country. The dumbest decision this country has made in my lifetime was made in the last election, taking Joe Biden as president. I actually, I actually regret not voting for Trump. Not that my vote would have mattered, but when I look at what's going on here in this world today, when I look at what's happening in our country today, I say to myself, how stupid were we? If I didn't vote for Trump, that means I'm as dumb as those that did vote for Biden. Biden's the worst president of my lifetime, including Jimmy Carter, and I'll tell you why. Because he took over a thriving economy. He took over independent oil. He took over a number of things where the United States was back to being not feared, but respected and maybe feared as a global power. Now the United States can't get Brittany Griner out of Russia. Do you know how quickly... 
Trump got those clowns from uh, UCLA out of China? I'm telling you right now, all you young people that had all the answers, you had all the answers. You had all the answers. Oh, man, you had all the answers. Learn a lesson here. Please, learn a lesson. Don't base your vote on some idiotic, cheese-curdled, stained media guy that grew up, can't think for himself, and has to think so left. Don't think, don't bet, make your vote on anybody that is so left or anybody that is so right. Make it on common sense. I don't care what a guy's morality is. Who cares? I'm not getting my morality from a president. If I did, who would it be that I would get it from? Jimmy Carter? Ronald Reagan, who married a woman simply because, well, you know, at least that's what's reported in Hollywood. JFK? Really? That guy? Okay. Richard Nixon? Don't think so. I don't know. Maybe Gerald Ford. What the hell do I know? But the fact of the matter is, look at where we are at. And I'm telling you, it ain't slowing down. And here's the other thing. I hear all of these people that are on the right saying, well, midterms, we're going to crush. They're going to crush. We're going to kill. We're going to, okay. Don't be so sure. The way this last election went tells me that the left has got the midnight oil working. The left has got it figured out how to get some votes when no one's paying attention, legally or illegally. Hell, I don't know. Man, it hit me yesterday right in the... We have gone backwards. The biggest thing used to be a made-up Russian collusion. That used to be the biggest thing. The biggest thing was a made-up, well, I can't believe what he said in 2002. Okay. The biggest thing used to be, yeah, I know gas prices are a buck 80, and I know we're respected across the country, and I know the stock market is booming, and, and I know jobs are up. But, man, remember what he said to Billy Bush? Did you see that tweet last night? How dumb are we? We are incredibly stupid as we sit here right now for electing this regime. We could not be dumber. And it needs to get corrected. Hey, I don't care if you correct it with a smart Democrat, a smart Republican. I don't care. But at the midterms, you got to get something corrected because this is a mess. When's the last time? Last time you heard good news. Last time, other than in church. I'll give you something that was interesting. A great follow on Twitter is Indy Spanglish. And Indy Spanglish reposted something. Close your business. Lay off your employees. Falsely promise to end COVID, which, oh, by the way, uh, a lot of sports teams have had their things canceled, uh, games canceled because of COVID. That was one of Joe's campaign promises. Win the election, reopen business and rehire employees, and call it record job growth. That's the world we live in. That's one of the funniest things that I've ever seen in my life. That because he's true, because Indy Spanglish is right. He's absolutely right. That's the best news you have had out of this guy. I'm telling you, when I was 16 years old, I watched the news. You guys that follow me know this. I watched it and I read it every day. 
only because I was a scared kid. I wanted to see where the closest murder was to my house. That's why I read the news every day, scared to death. That man, oh man, we lived on 54th. There was a murder on 45th. It wasn't like somebody tweeted out three murders today. All the time I watch. Hell, I even watched the Watergate thing. Because the courtship of Eddie's father wasn't on. The dumbest thing this country has done is revert back to 1979 by hiring or by electing, I guess, an incompetent boob that has, as, as Hope and Change said, Barack Obama, never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to F something up. Oh, and now we all pay the price. We've gone backwards. I'll be damned. Never thought I'd see 1979 again, but here we are. We'll be back. Uh, Chad Withrow's going to join us. Did you know the USFL kicked off? I also got to talk to him about Nick Saban with a warning shot. Saban with a warning shot to college football. Wow. Strong, too. We'll be back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, welcome back. A big weekend. Now, I watched it. Uh, The USFL, actually, a lot of people watched it. Chad Withrow and the guys from OutKick were in Birmingham uh, for the tailgate. I don't know, Chad. I'm not smart enough, but it seemed to me that the USFL, pretty successful. Need more people in the stands, right? But what was the vibe? You know, it was was really strong. Uh, I I was actually surprisingly impressed the other way with the crowd uh, in attendance. I, I didn't, I had very low expectations for people actually coming out and watching the games uh, because this is very much a made for television product, right? This is done by Fox. The league is owned by Fox and it is made to bridge the gap uh, during a time of year where, you know, they, they need good product on television and that's what they're trying to accomplish with the USFL. So um, look, I, I think, all things considered, it was very successful. Uh, the attendance was was good in week one. Uh, I don't think they're going to have attendance like that, you know, up until maybe the championship when they go to Canton uh, from here on out. But all in all, I, I thought it was a, a success. I, I would say the level of play, Dan, watching it and being there live, it's definitely not NFL caliber. It looked like a good college game. You know, the speed of it, the players physically, it looked like you're watching a college football game. Uh, when you were there in the building. So, yeah, I was overall, I was, I was very impressed. You know, what, one of the things, um, what, what, one of the things about a new league is when, when something happens, it gets glorified, right? So, all right, the Tampa Bay Pittsburgh game, it's been rescheduled. It's tonight at seven o'clock Eastern on Fox fans having tickets to Sunday's games can attend, but just show your ticket. Um, and a couple you know, plays that were crazy. But, hell, I watched Carson Wentz throw one left-handed out of the end zone for a touchdown for the other team. Uh, when, when you mentioned the play, 
let, let me go from the, the speed to the organization. You know, th- this hasn't been the lo- – this is the first games, crying out loud. How was the organization of the teams? I thought it was, again, uh, I, was, I was impressed with it because you're right. They've had a very truncated training camp. They haven't had a lot of time together in meeting rooms and, uh, and practice. You know, we talked with Jeff Fisher and Todd Haley and Larry Fedora on Outkick the Tailgate, man. And they were joking about, you know, getting with the other coaches at the Sheridan and trading for meeting room space. You know, I'll, I'll give you Magnolia Room B – for Camellia three at this time, <laughs> if you can let our defensive yeah. players get there and meet. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the deal right now. And these coaches know it is you're all right there living together in one of two hotels and they're trying to get meeting room time. They're trying to get actual practice field time together. So when you put all those factors in, I, I think that they, it's a terrific job of organization. You could hear the coaches with the play calls, which when they're giving those play calls, it means nothing to the layman watching the game. You don't know exactly what's coming when they're saying the play call. But I thought that first play of the game where Mike Riley dialed up the deep pass and hit on the deep pass, I thought that was really important for the league. Because if you botch the execution of that, not just completing it, but if it looks like you got a bunch of guys running around, no idea what the play was or what to do, uh, it would have had a bad first impression on the league. But with that play working and being organized – I thought was a, a nice, nice surprise early on for the league. Uh, and it was a look, it was a great first game. It had a little bit of everything because it started out fast offensively. There was a bit of a lull and then it ended very fast offensively uh, with a thrilling conclusion. So I, I thought it was great. TV numbers were good too. I mean, 3 million watched the games, which is more than a number of, you know, mainstream, I guess you'd call it sports NBA games. So is this sustainable? When you watch this, you think to yourself, all right, this is going to improve the entire thing, whether it's TV, whether it's attendance, whether it's the play, or is this something like, hey, man, I don't know. Where, where are you at with the sustainability? I think it's sustainable, and I think it's sustainable for this reason. Fox is not going in with the expectation of the 80s USFL. You know, the 80s USFL – with Donald Trump as an owner and everyone else, they were in there to compete with the NFL. They wanted to take NFL players, and, and they were successful in doing so. They were spending a ton of money. You know, think about the players that USFL with Jim Kelly and Steve Young and Herschel Walker. You know, go down the list. They were they were robbing the NFL of some top talent and trying to compete. The USFL, owned by Fox, backed by Fox, Fox, who is a partner of the NFL. They know, they know where they are. They're not trying to compete with the NFL. This is very much a sort of a triple-A type organization for the NFL. And the thought process is people can't get enough of football, so let's give them more football. Let's give them football starting Easter weekend and take it through 4th of July and see what happens. And I think people will watch. The ability to bet on the games helps. And I was one of the people who did that at FanDuel. That's going to help them. But this time period, I think starting Easter, going to July 4th is important. I don't think the TV number is ever going to be better than it was Saturday night. So I think we just saw the ceiling for it at 3.5 million at the end of that game with ratings. I think they'll have a good number for the championship game when we get to the 4th of July weekend for that. I think the key now, Dan, is from a ratings perspective, there's going to be a drop-off for week two. That happens with everything that's new in every league. The key is not having a second big drop-off from week two to week three. 
So if you can sustain that week two audience throughout the league and into week three, I think you're on to something, and, and this league has a real shot. Uh, it's going to survive this season because the backing and everything put into it, but sur- surviving multiple seasons, I really think that week two to week three number is going to be important to, to monitor to see if they can do that. When, when you look at it, uh, when I looked at it, Chad, I, I, I got to tell you, I watched it and I thought, man, this is a hell of an idea because let, let's just be honest, football rules, but football is also, unlike back when they tried other leagues, football, if you go to ESPN, is on every day. NFL Live is every day. You turn on uh, whatever morning shows. You got Good Morning Football. You turn on whatever show you want. Skip Bayless and are talking football. Greenberg's talking football. Everybody's talking football. So it's not like, I think, would you agree with this? Not like in the olden days where football was here, it gets put away, and we move on to baseball. It's just not like that anymore with football. And when I watched it, it kind of seemed natural, even though it was, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, it was uh, – well, it, it's funny because it felt like fall. Uh, we had you know Jeff Fisher on, and the first thing he said, he said, look around, like it feels like fall here with the overcast skies, with the temperature, with everything else. So there, there was definitely a football feeling in the air. And it, it kind of like you, Dan, made me think about the fact that it's always football season in America. Uh, I mean, it always feels a little bit like fall. You know, the only difference is when we have games or we don't. So with USFL – Going back to what they're thinking is, let's just have games most of the year. You know, we go six months without football, and then it's kind of like, well, why do we do that? You know, let's just go ahead and have another season that'll bridge the gap a little bit until we get ready. You know, once this league ends for the July weekend, we're gearing up for training camp, you know, across the NFL. We're, we're gearing up for the start of fall camp for college football. So we're kind of bleeding right back into – football season uh, once again and you're right I mean you're going to talk football every day on this show more than likely on Outkick 360 we talk football every day we make it a point probably an hour of our show is going to be football year round uh, regardless of if games are being played or not so why not give the people what they want and what the people want is more football and I'm not saying that people don't want other sports also I mean it shows with ratings of college basketball NCAA tournament uh, you, you know, you get into baseball playoffs, NBA playoffs. People are going to watch these sporting events also, and they're going to get into it. But what we know more than anything else in this country, people will always be into football, and it's not going anywhere. Who's the best player? Who's the best player in the league? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think we're going to have to spend some more time, you know, seeing that. The Jamar Smith story was cool with Birmingham. You know, starting quarterback goes out and he leads the rally. Uh, so he's, I think he's got the early edge on fan favorite because of all it's in Birmingham. And clearly it was a home game for Birmingham with fans coming out and rooting on the Stallions. The other night, Shea Patterson was the number one overall pick. Uh, he split time with Paxton Lynch. You're going to see a lot of teams split time at quarterback. So it's going to be hard to pick a quarterback until you got the guy that's playing the whole time. And, and I'll tell you another one to watch. Uh, and I actually put a futures bet on Philadelphia for this reason. The Philadelphia Stars quarterback, Brian Scott, is nicknamed the Aaron Rodgers of Division Three. He's from Occidental College in California, set all sorts of records, and he is a player. Uh, he is fun to watch. He, he's had cups of coffee with about four or five different NFL teams. 
He's trying to make it back to the league at some point. Uh, but he can move. He can sling it. Uh, he is going to be a, a fun player to watch for Philadelphia. And he's playing for Bart Andrus, who was a Pop Warner teammate of Jeff Fisher, who coached for the Titans, coached Steve McNair as a quarterback coach of the Titans, known as a big-time quarterback developer. And he's coached in multiple spring leagues. So I like Philadelphia as a team that knows the system. They've got a coach who's been in these spring leagues before with limited rosters. They've got a quarterback who's done has played in spring ball before, played in the CFL, played in the NFL. So Brian Scott, the quarterback for Philadelphia, is a guy to watch. Hey, uh, how is the gambling? Like you mentioned gambling, and I saw Clay's tweet. Hey, the overhead, it's a great day, you know that kind of thing. Uh, were there was there any trends here that people you know what I mean? I, what was the handle good? I mean, I'm asking you questions. I don't even know if you know, but I, I've been looking it up. Like on one site that I use, I couldn't find anything for the USFL, so I went to another site and I could. That needs to change. Every site needs USFL. Yeah. See, I I'm only on Fanduel, so I know that Fanduel had it. I, I'm not I'm not familiar with the other ones that they had it or not, or how many had it. I was sitting with Clay at the game, and I know that we both placed a bet on the game. I, I had Birmingham minus two and a half. I was talking to a, a sports radio buddy of mine, Lance Taylor, down in Birmingham, who was at the game. He bet on New Jersey in the game, so he was upset after the game. I was happy after the game with uh, with Birmingham scoring late. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I don't know what the trends are. Uh, we need to find that out to see because, Dan, you and I both know this. The ability to bet on these games is going to be a big part of the success or failure of this league. I noticed on FanDuel, they actually took the game down about an hour before kickoff. So you were unable to bet on it. Uh, Paul Koharski sent me a text and showed me that, that you were unable to bet about an hour before kickoff. So that happens with a lot of games for any number of reasons, but it was just locked out for a little bit of time before the game. But I was able to place a bet the week of. I was able to place a futures bet on a champion. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that's going to be a huge help. And hopefully every sports book jumps on like FanDuel has, and you can bet on these games. Who, who, who's your futures bet? Because I'll go do it. I'll, I'll take your advice. I'll just do it. I like other people doing the homework for me. I went with the Philadelphia Stars Sounded because like, of Brian yeah. Scott at quarterback, because of Bart Andrews, the coach. I think they're like plus 6,000 as the champion. They were not at the top of the list. They were fifth or sixth down the list of the eight teams to win it. Uh, so I, I took a long shot with Philadelphia. Hey, let me let me ask you something. Did you see this? Uh, did you see Nick Saban? You know, he kind of gave a bit of a warning to college football about the NIL going through it and saying this isn't, you know, be careful what you wish for. Did you see any of that? I did, yeah. We, we talked about it a little bit last week. I think anytime Nick Saban talks about these things, what? it always it always comes across as as whining uh, when it's Nick Saban because he's won so much and anything new, he's always resisted to. But I gotta say, Dan, I didn't disagree with anything he said. I mean, I think a lot of the things he said is exactly what we've been talking about with some of the pitfalls of, of NIL. And I also don't think it's Nick Saban saying we're not going to do these things. It's almost Nick Saban giving a warning shot to college football. You know, the last time he got into this, it was about the speed of play. 
that it wasn't safe, that offenses were running too fast, and there needs to be rules to look at that. And then Nick Saban didn't not play fast. He started playing fast better than anyone else. You know, he adapted his offense. He still got better players, and he won national titles. So I don't think Alabama is going to be outbid by people. I don't think this is Nick Saban saying, you know, I'm taking the moral stance that we're not going to pay for players. And we're not going to use NIL to our benefit. It's just Nick Saban saying, this isn't the world I want to coach in or live in. But, hey, if everyone else is going to do it, we'll do it. And we'll be better than everyone else at it. And we'll continue to be Alabama and get some of the best players in the country. So that's how I took Nick Saban's comments. And I also think that he was right about pretty much everything he said. This, this is the world we're headed to now uh, where you're going to have to outbid for, for a number of players. But if all things are equal – and Alabama's boosters are paying, which they will. And if they can match other teams, kids are still going to want to go to Alabama if all things are equal. The money gives teams like, I don't know, my alma mater, Tennessee, a shot to get kids from Alabama that otherwise they wouldn't based on recent success and coaching because it's hard to compete and hard to recruit against Nick Saban and Alabama success. It's hard to compete against Kirby Smart in Georgia and what they're doing right now if you're any other team in the SEC. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's having no problem with it right now. You know, maybe maybe Alabama right. will find an oil derrick somewhere close to Bryant Denny Stadium and start producing some oil money to get a uh, get recruiting platform. So that may be the next step for them. I I didn't think Nick Saban was negative. I think you have to be so careful as a coach right now, right? I think you've got to be like. Like, I think Davo Sweeney goes too far in being negative about it, and I think that's going to be used against him in terms of negative recruiting. But I think Nick Saban kind of gave a state of the state, you know what I mean, a state of football uh, in his deal. If a coach does even insinuate, I believe anyway, that he is against the NIL for players, not necessarily for college football, I think that's going to be used against him. And I don't think Saban did that, but I do think Davo Sweeney has done that uh, over yeah. the last few weeks. Oh, Dabo Swinney has said, you know, there's one quote out there where he said, that'll be the day I retire, <laughs> right? You know, when they, when they allow NIL and transfer portal and all this, you know, that, that's when I'm going to leave college coaching. Well, he's still here in college coaching, but he sounds like an old relic uh, talking about uh, the way he views the sport and how he views NIL. So, yeah, I, I think that Dabo Swinney, what he's saying, he comes across very different from Nick Saban. And even look into the quote from Nick Saban. While he's complaining about the state of football and NIL and transfer portal, he is also saying, but, you know, we utilized it well a year ago, and a lot of our players made a lot of money. I mean, he's recruiting in the middle of that statement. He's saying, look, I, I want players for the have the ability to make money. I don't care about that once they're here and they're playing well. And, by the way, we had a number of players make a lot of money here at Alabama. That's Nick Saban with the sales pitch while complaining about NIL saying you're still going to make money if you come to Alabama and you're good and you produce, um, you don't hear Dabo Sweeney saying a lot of that. You know, he's very against the much, very much against the transfer portal more than anything else, but he, it, he comes across very different. If I had to pick a top dog coach right now that is going to fail miserably in the NIL era, it's absolutely Dabo Sweeney. Now, I think Clemson probably has enough powerful support around the program that it may not matter that if you're against NIL or – I wouldn't say against NIL. If you would just stand back and let it happen, I still think the schools with a powerful alumni base that can get a collective together, 
that can be organized, you're not going to fall too far behind. I always said Ohio State's the perfect place because Columbus, Ohio, yes, they have major league soccer. Yes, they have uh, hockey, but the Buckeyes are statewide, man. And the Buckeyes in that city, there are more businesses in that city without a professional football or baseball team. Uh, it's, it's, it's set up. I remember Richard Patino, Coach Patino's son, was coached at Minnesota. I said, hey, how's the NIL going to work? You got a big city. He goes, damn, we got six professional sports teams here. Think anybody wants my shooting guard to endorse him? But I, the, the success or failure, I think, for Dabo Sweeney is going to be determined over the next three to five years. You, you know what I mean by that? By his on-field yeah. success, by his recruiting success, because he's put himself out there for sure. Well, I think so. It's interesting, the point you made about Ohio State. They're absolutely a team that should lead the way in NIL. I'll give you a couple of other ones that I think have a great opportunity to rise uh, that haven't been a power as of late. Nebraska is another one that in that state, that is all that matters. They have zero competition in the state of Nebraska. And there is some money around Omaha and Lincoln and around that program. So they have a great opportunity. Arkansas, give me all the Walmart money in Arkansas. They've got no competition in pro sports or with other schools in that state. Arkansas is a program that could now be a heavy hitter. We've seen what Texas A&M is doing. Oh, by the way, Texas has a lot of oil money too. They're about to be in the SEC. So when Nick Saban is complaining about this, he's probably seeing what's happening with Texas A&M and he knows what's going to happen with Texas also. And he's putting out the warning shot about that. Um, I think Tennessee, you know, has done a good job with NIL and, and they, they are the top dog in the state for college, but that's a state with professional interest also in competition with pro sports. But I think those are some programs that I could see rising because of NIL, because they embrace it, because they understand it, because they have passionate fan bases. That's all over the state with very little competition. Um, I'm putting Ohio state right there. Like you said, Dan, I'm, and I'm putting Nebraska, Arkansas, and, and maybe even Tennessee in that group also that could really do some big things that with NIL. Hey, last thing, um, Chad, with this, when when Saban said this, I, I may not know. I, I think I know. At least I think I know what really is happening. He's like, well, it's going to result in people buying players. I When I read that, I thought to myself, well, at least based on what I've been told, that cat's already out of the bag, right? I mean, isn't that what – you mentioned Texas A&M. Isn't that what essentially Texas A&M did? Yeah. I mean, that's in, and I think he's saying that, you know, this is, we're now in a state where you're buying players, right? I mean, that's, that's what you're doing in advance. Now you can't, that's it. the rules state that it's, it's for, you can pay current players, but NCAA rules state you're not supposed to entice them with money. Well, it's all semantics. If I go to recruit, if I'm, let's just say hypothetically that, AM has a system where every single recruit they sign makes $350,000 a year, right? Base. And then you get more when you get there. Based on their collective, football recruits get $350,000 a year while they're there. Well, if I tell the recruit, hey, you're going to get this when you arrive, that is enticing them to go. I'm not giving them a check right now and saying, here's $350K, commit to us over Texas and Alabama but you are promising them that on arrival. 
This is something Lane Kiffin talked about on signing day. He said, I just hope that every player that's been promised something, they actually deliver on it. And he's all for NIL and players getting paid. But he was taking shots at Texas A&M and others saying, there's been a lot of things we've heard in recruiting about promises of a lot of money that I've heard thrown around. And I just don't know that all these players are getting everything they've been promised. So I hope they haven't been led astray with money promised to them to go to certain places. But what Nick Saban said is correct. Now, you could also say, you know, in big-time college sports, players have been bought for a long time. It just hasn't been over the table. It's been under the table uh, with payments to guys. And now it's a little bit more up front the way you can do it. But, yeah, I mean, we, we are in a spot. We're not every player because not every player is deemed good enough to get paid a bunch of money to go to that school. But the top players are absolutely getting bought and paid for to go to programs. Yeah, I mean, and I'll go back to Saban. Saban was the first guy that really publicized it when he said Bryce Young was getting seven figures. So I don't think he's being hypocritical at all. I, I don't. A lot of people do. I don't. I just think, you know, I think sometimes uh, you just simply say where we're at as a sport or where we're at as an industry, whatever that industry is. And, you know, you can parse it however you'd like, but I don't think – I agree with you. I, I don't think he's wrong. I think he's absolutely right, and I think he should. I like when – I like when the most successful coaches speak out. Like, I feel like in college basketball, everybody over the years, particularly the Hall of Fame coaches, had a wink, wink, nod, nod thing. This thing ain't broke, and I'm successful at it. So, you know, I'm not going to mess with it. But I liked it, Saban. I don't know. What do you got on the show today? What you got going today? By the way, also, one other thing on that. I mean, there's not a single coach that really loves this, right? There's just varying degrees of right. coaches saying, all right, these are the rules. I'm willing to accept it or going over the top and basically recruiting saying we are all about NIL here at X university. We love it. We love that players are getting paid. We love all of it. We're accepting of it. I mean, that's a recruiting pitch. If you're going to be honest with a coach and they're going to be honest with you, not a single coach is in love with the fact that they're getting hit up or, Hey, I'm making this much at this school or this much. And you need to pay this for me to come here. There's not a college coach that likes it. So I think Nick Saban just being honest, the way no. all co uh, coaches feel about it, no doubt about it. A uh, big show today, Dan. We're going to talk right. about the SFL opener, uh, a lot of reaction to the weekend. We'll talk a little NBA playoffs like you've been on your show as well. Uh, and that's at uh, 2, 2 p.m. Central time without Kick 360. Let's go, man. You're the best, Chad. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. We only follow your lead, Dan. We, we you're, our, you're our fearless leader. We follow tell, your lead. Tell do the best you can. Tell Kuharski that, you know, I called you the best, too. So there you go. I will. Man, I tell him that know. every day. I, I tell him every day. I'll let him know again. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Thank you. That's Chad Withrow. Uh, I'll kick 360. Three to six every day right here. You can't miss it. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah. Hey, we're not even going to take a break. We got the great Jim Boylan on. Are you kidding me? 
Uh, Jimmy B has coached everywhere, whether it's Michigan State, it's Utah, all across the NBA, San Antonio, Chicago Bulls. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm great, Coach Dockage. How Uh-oh. you doing, man? What? Where, doing where are you right now? Where are you living? I live in Indianapolis at 75th and Spring Mill. Um, love Indy, man. What? It's been great to us. Yeah, it's been great. Well, we must we must get together and we must have beers and discuss the world as it is right now and figure it all out. Hey, uh, let me go into this. Young players, you coached. I'm gonna get, before I get into young players. I, I hear people that are in the media tell, ah, oh, you can tell the difference between playoff intensity and regular season intensity. You're in the NBA long time, assistant coach, head coach. What is the difference in playoff intensity from regular season intensity? Well, the the possessions become less and more valuable. Um, the running stops. Um, four teams yesterday scored under 100, uh, which tells you there's less possessions. The defense uh, focus increases. Um, I've never really bought that the regular season, you know, guys don't play hard. That's not true. Uh, I would rather say they play harder and more consistently in the playoffs. Um, and again, every possession is, is like gold uh, when it comes to playoff time. Uh, a seven-point run feels like 15. Um, and uh, the pressure of the playoffs uh, kind of sits on everybody, coach. You know, very difficult. Do guys, for lack of a better word, like I always thought, man, these dudes are in the pros because, you know, they're a lot smarter and tougher and more attuned than people want to give any professional athlete credit because there's so much jealousy. But are guys more focused in film? Are guys in the gym earlier? Is any of that changed before the playoffs? Um, I think you have to be careful of changing things the way you've done them. The best teams in the playoffs have great habits. No different than college, no different than pro. Um, so your preparation habits are zeroed in on one team for a seven-game series. Um, you, don't, you don't adjust until you play a game. So I was never big in the places I've been where we've won championships and won. You know, we, we did what we do. And we try to do it the best we can. As you know, being a coach and, and you were a, a winning player, the, the biggest thing is to defend and rebound and do the basics for more of the 48 than your opponent. It comes down to that. You don't reinvent the wheel when the playoffs start. You don't all of a sudden do a whole bunch of different things. So to your point on prep time and focus, you focus on the basics, spacing, um, uh, sharing the ball, defending, getting back, not giving up easy baskets, rotations. I think there is an added focus to personnel. Um, I've been places where we split the team up into three or four groups and a coach takes a group and, and you watch three or four guys that that group's going to guard. So maybe you have your wing group, your guard group, 
and you really zero in on 25 or 30 clips per guy and you spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes exactly what they do, how they do it, dominant hand, places on the floor where they're effective. There's numbers involved, uh, coach, you know, with that. Um, some guys, you'd be amazed at a guy's shot chart, where he makes shots from, where he doesn't, where he gets his shots. We're going to not let him get the, these shots here, you know, those types of things. So that's where the focus comes in. But I was never big, and the guys I've worked for and coached with were never big on reinventing something or changing a whole bunch. After game one, you make your adjustments. After game two, you make your adjustments. Um, and, and you communicate that to your team. But imagine going into a veteran group and saying, okay, now we're going to blitz, pick, and roll, and we haven't done it all year, right? right? You're not doing that. You're not doing that, you know? You're not. Now, game one, we get slaughtered, and, and we got to blitz Durant, and we got to blitz, um, you know, uh, Irving, and make somebody else beat us. Well, then we'll make that adjustment. But um, I think you have to be careful of that. How much uh, – Tom Moore, the great offensive line and offensive coordinator for the Colts, told me one time, he go, look, the NFL late in the game, it's players, not plays. You can have the greatest scheme, but you better have players making plays. After, like, game three, how, how much do I know you, you know me? How much does it just come down to players making plays as opposed to any kind of scheme you're going to draw up? I think it, 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 that's what it comes down to. I think – in game one, you, in the Boston uh, Nets series, you saw what it was. Guys making plays, big shots. Boston switching everything. They're grabbing, they're clutching. All the rules went out the window, you know, uh, as far as freedom of movement. And it comes down to guys just gritting it up, playing with an edge, and, and, and making plays. And um, that's why the teams that are usually the most physical – the most veteran, the most experienced have the advantage, Coach, because um, that helps you this time of year. When Did you happen to see the defense that the Heat put on Trey Young? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. How, how, yeah, what does Trey the, Young the do good teams, they just, The good they, teams, they just, Coach. Yeah, well, the good teams are not going to let your A option beat them. No different than when you you played, no different than when you coached. You're not going to let A1 on the board beat you. Somebody else has to do it. And Miami's elite at that. Uh, they're tied together on it. The team understands it. Um, and, you know, he might have to – he might get something, but he's going to have to work for everything. They understand the fatigue factor. They also understand that they had a quick turnaround, Coach. You know, Miami's been sitting all week, right? Fresh legs, fresh minds. Atlanta's coming in with their backs against the wall, and they're worn out. I think you'll see a different game from Atlanta in game two. Um, I, Miami's going to win the series, but I think you'll see a different game and, and a, a more prepared team just because of time and what they went through yesterday. Um, and, 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 but Trey Young's going to, going to be, he's going to have somebody in front of him all the time and he's going to have to play over the top and uh, they're going to wear him down, brother. For, for people that don't understand what does playing over the top mean? Well, he, he's not going to be able to get into gaps and seams. 
he, they're not going to let him create two on ones on the second side with his penetration. They're not going to do it. They're going to keep him in front. Uh, they're going to make him play over the top and make those contested off the dribble shots. They're not going to follow him. They're going to show their hands on everything. He gets his rhythm at the free throw line, especially when he's struggling. So um, when, when a ball handler gets into the paint, gets downhill, somebody has to help. That, that creates the second side two-on-ones, which is kind of how the league is built, right? The second side spacing with corner slot spacing. And if you can get in a gap, if you can get downhill, if you can get baseline and get your shoulders square to the board, defense has to commit. And now you can make plays. If you never get to that point, coach, you can't, nobody has to shift and there's no separation and you're playing in mud. Rudy T used to say, we're going to make them play in mud, which means face to face right in front. Oh man. I tell you what, I, I it was, it was remarkable. Let me, let me go through this. Cause you, you know, you mentioned veteran guys and obviously veteran guys came through. You saw it yesterday. Hell, uh, Al Horford goes 20 and 15 at age 87. I mean, the dude's older than you or I, and he's just dropping, you know, major double-doubles. But these young guys are incredible. When you look at the talent, man, like all of a sudden here's Maxie, John Morant we've talked about, Jordan Poole. The young talent in the NBA is pretty sensational, is it not? It is, and I, I think the development that's happened of the younger players – with teams realizing that internal development is the is the best way to build your team. Maxie's improved. I, you know, I'm amazed at Edwards for Minnesota. You know, I know he's a talented guy, but yeah. he's played like a vet in, in these playoffs. I mean, his poise, his shot making, uh, his durability, uh, his physicality. You know, he, he's just really been impressive as, as their team has been. But you know, and, and you were a role player, right? I was a role player. Um, and what, what you realize is in the playoffs, the role players are what changed the course of the series. Maxi made the shots he had to make. He doesn't make those. Maybe the game is different, right? Um, and so the, the, the role players this time of the year, I don't even like to call them role players. I think they're, they're the players that have to step up for a team to win. Who stepped up for Brooklyn yesterday? You know, I don't know. Uh, um, maybe there's seven. Kyrie Irving, uh, fourth quarter. That, well, well yeah, yeah. And, and, but you wouldn't call him a role player, right? You know, and so um, no. I, I think that's, that's a, that's a storyline to watch. And those role players have been developed by the teams. Some of those guys are late first-round picks second round picks. And um, I think that's exciting. And, and that lends itself to coaching. So, you know, sometimes people don't understand how much coaching, how much teaching happens in the NBA on a daily basis and the development that happens um, with these staffs and, you know, how well teams are coached and how organized uh, these franchises are to develop these young guys because there's so much involved in it uh coach it's it's an amazing process it really I, is. I always i always i always tell people this like guys say well you know what he needs another he needs another year in college to learn how to shoot and i always say wait so whoa whoa, 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 whoa. 
you realize that there's no time restrictions. There's no class restrictions. What's an NBA team got like 10 guys sitting around that are player development guys? Yeah. I mean, to your point, coach, it's like, damn, if you want to really develop, I think you go to the NBA and you got all day, all <laughs> night, every day to go work on your game, right? Yeah, it's it's so true. Um, you will you will get coached on your shot in the pros. You will have more time to develop your skills as a shooter. Um, you will get stronger and bigger. And as you get stronger and bigger, your shot will develop. That line is deep, uh, as you know. Um, but yeah, it's that's a misconception, I think. Um, is it right for every guy to come out? You and I know it's not, okay? Is it, is it right for every guy to leave college uh, depending on their maturity level and uh, their physicality and where they're at mentally and physically? It's not. But uh, if you're talking about shooting, I haven't seen guys that go to the pros and become worse shooters. I haven't seen it. They might not become great shooters, right. but they don't get worse. They don't get worse. So. Hey, when you you from a coach's eye, you coach for a ton of years. Who, who do you like watching? Who in these playoffs is a team that you're like, man, I I I gotta watch them. I love watching the style, whatever it is that they do. Who who do you like watching? I love watching Miami. Um, I just like teams that are tied together and value the defensive end of the floor. Um, the best teams in the league are, are the teams that defend. I love watching Milwaukee. Uh, again, they're tied together. Uh, they play together. Uh, they value the defensive end of the floor. Uh, nothing is is one with without guarding uh, and and playing together at the defensive end of the floor. You're going to have nights, coach, where you don't shoot it well. You're going to have nights where it doesn't go in. Um, but that consistency in a seven-game series, to me, is what it's all about. And um, with the Spurs in 14, we were the best defensive team in the league. Uh, you know, with the Rockets back in the day, we were a very good defensive team, and we had the best defensive player in the league in, in Olajuwon. So, you know, that's how I've always coached and, and built our system on um, because that's where I think you can establish yourself, and there's a selflessness in that, right? There's a commitment to that. How many times have you tell your guys, get into the game defensively and everything will fall your way. The ball will start going in. But if you go into a game thinking we're going to outscore people, it doesn't always work. And the good teams, the teams at the top of the league right now, they've got that figured out and they've got coaches that demand that coach, um, which you know how important you played for a guy that demanded that a little bit too. Yeah, a little bit. Hey, uh, let me go through some series. Tell me what you think. <laughs> Memphis, Minnesota, two young teams, high scoring. You know, yeah, a little. Uh, what do you think? Memphis, Minnesota, how's this series going to go? Well, I think it's going to go at least six. And um, I would, I would, you have to, the numbers tell you it's going to be Memphis. Um, but they gave up 130 in the first game, um, which is interesting to me because you look at the series where a team had a week to prepare, 
and they held people under 100. You look at the series where the teams are just coming off the play-in, there wasn't as much time to prepare, and Minnesota comes in in rhythm and scores 130 on the second or third best defensive team in the league. So Memphis got to make their adjustments, got to recommit to the defensive end of the floor. There's a euphoria to make the playoffs. There's a euphoria to be the seed that they were. But now you got to get back into grit and grind mode and, and shut them down. You got to keep Minnesota under 112. And, and I, I think a good barometer defensively is 27 points a quarter. Uh, if you watch the playoffs, if you can keep people to 108, under 110, um, you got a real chance to win. But if you let people get over 110, it's really difficult uh, to beat people. All right. How do you see the Celtics and Nets going? I think it's going seven. Um, I'm hoping that uh, injury doesn't decide the series. Um, and I think you got to go with the home team, the Celtics. But uh, um, I think it's you can call that one a pick em, I think, uh, Coach. I, I just I don't know. I don't know on that one. I think Toronto uh, really took a blow when Scotty Barnes went down with the ankle. Um, you hate to see injuries decide a series, but you got to go with Philadelphia there. Uh, it looks like Milwaukee, you know, has Chicago figured out. They they held them to 15 points in the fourth. I think what 80 86 total. Uh, kind of that defensive thing we we talked about. Um, so uh, yeah, the East East is probably going to end up, you know. I don't know. I, 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 Philly's, Philly's the wild card for me. You know, Harden gets 14 assists yesterday and Maxi, you know, plays really hard uh, or on Saturday, excuse me. And if they can keep that up, I, I think Philly's going to be right there too. When you, a team like Golden State, now all of a sudden Steph Curry's coming off the bench and Jordan Poole's playing out of his mind. I loved him at Michigan. I thought he was really, really good. Um, does Denver have a chance here? Does Utah, or excuse me, does Dallas without, you know, without Luka Doncic, I, I guess he's not going to play in game two. That's a deciding guy in a game. I mean, how are those two, what do you see out of those two? Yeah, I, I think Utah's going to continue to play well. Um, and I don't know, Utah for a winning program and the job they've done, they sure take a lot of a lot of grief out there. I don't understand that. It's so hard yeah. to win in this yeah. in this league. It's so hard to win. They've got a terrific coach, terrific franchise. Um, I don't understand that one. But Utah's going to win this series again. A series decided by injury. Um, it's it's sad. It's it's really difficult um, to play all year and then have that happen. Uh, the disappointment of that is 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 really tough. Um, so I, I think, you know, Golden State is going to get through that series um, because of their talent level, their shooting. Very difficult to beat Golden State four times, Coach. I don't, I don't care who you are. It's really hard to do that. So uh, I see Utah moving on. I see Golden State moving on. I, I think Memphis will figure it out. Um, and then the other series is uh, Phoenix and, you know, uh, Phoenix is unstoppable. 
uh, right now. And uh, Chris Paul is playing as good as he's played. Um, he went vegan, coach. He went vegan, and in three years, <laughs> he, he has not had an injury. So I think you and I got to think about going – you and I got to think about going <laughs> vegan, man. Stop those injuries, okay? Yeah, maybe grow some hair back. Maybe we could grow some hair back. I don't know. <laughs> I went vegan, true story. I went vegan for 48 hours in Iowa City. I told Jason Benetti, I'm going vegan. I read about it. I went. I talked about it on the air. The National Vegan Association sent me some information. And I couldn't do it anymore, coach. I, 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 48 hours is all I lasted. That's it. I got to go. We got to go vegan. Oh, man. Hey. That's a hard lifestyle, man. That's a, that, hey, that, hey, oh, I want to yeah. go back to something you said yeah. because <laughs> I've said forever, like, it's one thing to beat LeBron James once at home, you know, in the middle of January. But it's hard as hell to beat that guy four times, right, in a two-week period. I, I think the teams in the West breathed a sigh of relief when LeBron James's team didn't make the playoffs because that dude beating him four times, Coach, that's a mother in my opinion. No, you're right. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to do that. Um, think about this. Think, think, think about the NBA. Think about the money that's spent, the value of the franchises, and think about the Clippers and the Lakers are not in the playoffs. Now, you talk about a tough league. You talk about a competitive – people want competitive balance. Two, you know, franchises that are worth $3 billion, right, uh, both have terrific coaches. I love Frank Vogel. Ty Lue's a terrific coach. Great organizations, and they're sitting out. I mean, that's amazing to me, uh, Coach. Amazing that that's happened. And uh, to your point, a lot of people are happy because you get LeBron with days of rest in a playoff series, and he goes up a whole nother level. We've seen it. We've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. Hey, uh, last thing. Can you explain to people how it is you're on a sideline, you're, you're up one, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have the ball? Like, I, how daunting is that? Or, or LeBron has the ball or James Harden has the ball and you got to stop him for the win. Yeah. That's got to be a yeah. lot of fun in one way because of the challenge of it. Well, you have to make a choice, you, and you know this from coaching. You know, you got to make choices on things you're going to live with, things you can sleep with that night, win or lose, right? You know that. So, to me, you got to take the ball out of their hands. You got to make somebody else beat you. They've proven time and time again they can beat you, they can make big plays, big shots. If they pass it to somebody else, uh, you got a chance. And, and so I liked what Boston did at the end of the game, running at Kyrie and making him give that up. Um, I thought it was a, 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 a great play. Now, I don't know if I would have ran at smart. It's easy to say now, um, you know, armchair quarterback, right? But ran at smart and then make him a passer to a better player. Maybe you let smart shoot that ball. So it's easy to talk about it now. Those decisions happen in real time. 
But I do think you got to take the ball in the last two minutes out of the best players' hands and make those role players beat you. Coach, do you ever – I always I always used to say, yeah, what you can live with or what you could sleep with is non-existent when you lose. You know what I mean? Like, Steve Kerr hits the shot, Michael Jordan doesn't. Ah, crap. You, you, you know, that kind of thing. Well, well, here's the, here's the thing. It's, you're, you're not wrong on, on that. In an 82-game season, in a seven-game series, you have to make choices uh, in those yeah. moments, but also you have to because you can't guard everything. You can't guard every player. Uh, the league is too talented. You have to, whether you use the numbers or your gut, you know, whatever it is, I was a little bit of both. I like the numbers, but kind of a gut guy too. So, you know, and, and sometimes your players do things instinctively and your job is to put them in those instinctual moments and not have them think. So um, I, I understand what you're saying, but at, at that level and at every level, I think um, you make educated choices and maybe living with it or sleeping with it is a bad, bad term, but, um, you got to give yourself a best chance to win, but also your best chance to recover from the loss. That's interesting. What, define that for people, will you? Well, you talk to your team the next day. You sit and talk to your team the next day. Hey, we lost. Here's what we did. Here's why we did that. We ran at Kyrie Irving to get the ball out of his hands. And, uh, they missed the shot, and we went the other way, and we got a bucket to win the game. Why did we do that? Okay, so the why and the how, and then you go back to the why again. And you could say the same thing for Brooklyn. You know, why did we run at Smart when he's the guy we probably want shooting the ball? Let's learn from that. Let's move on from it. We get in that situation again. Let's not overcommit to him. Let's make him beat us, not Tatum. So – I, I, you know, that's, that's kind of how I think about it and, and what I value. It's, it's how do you coach your team the next day? Dan, this is not one and done, coach. It's not one and done. It's a seven-game series. There's a learning curve. There's momentum. There's an understanding of all Boston did was hold serve. They're supposed to win game one. The Nets played this week. They've been off for a week. So you don't overreact to it. You learn from it. You grow, and you get ready to ball because another one's coming. And it's the greatest time of the year. Um, it's the greatest time of the year to watch basketball, in my opinion. I love the NCAA tournament, but the adjustments that happen now and the end-of-game situations, you see the value of the four quarters because um, every end of quarter is a game unto itself. And you see all the coaching that happens, all the development that's happened, and the stars come out. So uh, we're blessed, man. It's a great, great time of the year, and uh, especially for a hoop junkie. And um, I know you are, and, and I am too. Yeah, I, I, I used to get in trouble at ESPN because I used to say, man, I love the NCAA tournament in college basketball, but there ain't a damn thing like the NBA playoffs. I, I just I, – I, I'd stay up – yeah, it's – 
It's yeah, I stay up till two in the morning watching a good game. It's just awesome. It is. It's There's great. so much coaching. There's so much coaching that goes on in an NBA game. Math, you know, matchups, uh, mismatch, isolation, um, end of quarter, end of half, end of game, start of quarter, start of half, um, lineups and cross checking and switching and I mean just there's so many decisions going on so much happening um and to watch the chess match you know uh, I just I love it I'm thankful I've been able to be a part of it and um you know it's it's just a beautiful game I, I think it's great my wife's so tired of me saying damn these dudes make shots <laughs> you know what I mean? like, damn yeah, well, it's, it's, well, it's like you know, it's like it's like the uh, it's like the golfers, right? They, the, the PGA Tour had that thing. These guys are good, you know, and um, the, the NBA guys are so talented, and that's what I tell the young players in college and all that. You got to understand how good you have to be, how good you have to be, how mentally yeah. tough and prepared, and and you know, remember now the media jumps into every matchup. Every matchup is double scrutinized this time of the year. Every situation is scrutinized. And that pressure of the media, the pressure to perform, the pressure to understand the moment and excel in the moment is magnified so much. You can feel it when you come in the building, coach, the thickness of the air, right? You can feel it. And uh, that's what we all kind of did this for, right? That feeling in that moment. Oh man! Hey, coach, appreciate you, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for a half hour. That's awesome stuff. That's great stuff. Well, thank you. It's great to see you. Hope we can get together sometime, coach. Take care, man. I want I want to. Yeah. All right, buddy. That's uh, okay. Jimmy Boylan. Been a long time. Won championships with the uh, with the Spurs. Won championships with the Rockets. I mean, won championships at Michigan State. I mean, the dude is just a basketball encyclopedia and a Better guy than he is coach. He's just a fantastic, fantastic guy. So I wanted to make sure that we had some perspective on the NC or on the uh, NBA. I got to tell you, I know football is king, but I watch every night. I don't necessarily watch all of the halftime shows and all that stuff. A lot of times, my wife and I decide, ah, let's turn this off and read a book or something. But I'm telling you, man, the NBA's on today. My fat ass is going to be watching. I love it. I do. And I'll tell you also, you can get into the NCAA tournament. And I've said this before, run out there. We did this in Boise to play Miss Missouri. And there's nobody in the crowd because they're switching the early session to the late session. You walk in, as coach just said, man, you walk into an NBA arena as the home team or the visiting team. You can feel it. Hell, you can feel it as a damn fan, man. You can feel it walking in to, to Banker's Life or whatever the hell it's called now, Gainbridge. And man, and that's like in Indianapolis, people say, well, I'm a hater of the Pacers. I'm a hater of, no, I'm not a hater of nothing. I want them to be good because one of the great days in Indianapolis in the month of May has not a damn thing to do with race cars. It has to do with going downtown, sitting outside, having a beer, going across the street, going to the Pacer game, and the minute you walk into the playoffs of the Pacers, you feel it, and it's freaking awesome. 
And it's the same thing with the Colts in the playoffs. And same thing in your town. It's freaking awesome. So stop with the, I hate the NBA. No, you don't hate the NBA. You like the NBA. And if you don't like the NBA, don't at me. It's the name of the show. Thanks to the great Jim Boylan for coming on. We're going to take a minute break here, get myself organized, and uh, come back. I got some fades for you. I got a little Bobby Knight making me, I was a college player, and I had to pay my coach. That's how jacked up Coach Knight was. I love the man, but I had to pay him. They didn't pay my sorry ass when I was at Indiana. I had to pay Coach Knight, period. Oh, we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, don't at me. That's right. Don't at me. Or you can at me. I got a lot of people adding me right now because I said, I said uh, that this is the worst president. Or I, I shouldn't even say it's the worst president. We're just going backwards. I mean, people can get mad at me. But they're going back. We're going backwards as a country. I watched it yesterday. I was watching Stephanopoulos' show. I don't even know what show it is. I'm not even sure what network he's on. I guess, well, I guess it'd be ABC. But I'm watching, and it hit me. This is the same stuff that in 1979 when I was a kid, this is the same stuff. So you can at me all you'd like. You can get mad at me. You can at me. But when will they begin teaching economics and logic? They obviously weren't teaching it when you were there. Obviously. Obviously. You're right. They weren't. Fine. They weren't. Criticize me all you'd like. Never forget January 6th. Vote blue. Okay. This is a guy that I didn't like when I saw him. Uh, This is a guy named Chuck who was a pain in the ass when I was a kid. And he's no different. Now, there's one, two, three, four, eight, ten, fourteen, eight. Think this guy is a little nuts? He sent me 30, t- 30 tweets. Chuck Hevesy. I'm still scrolling through my man's tweets here. This is the same guy. Think he's a little obsessed? Look at this. He was a caddy. He was a golfer when we were kids. There you go, Chuck. Get your head out of the sand and stick to sports. Politics is above your pay grade. No, it ain't. It's what I'm paid for. My man sent 30 tweets with different pictures of Donald Trump. What does Donald Trump have to do with the current president? It has nothing to do with the current president. The current president should demand that the current president stands on his own. But the current president doesn't stand on his own. Neither do you all. Y'all are nuts. Speaking of nuts, I got to tell you a story. So Double D here, your friend, he's in college. And I was not a great student. My parents were teachers. I did not care about being a great student. I was in college to play basketball and go to college. And by going to college, that meant, yeah, oh, on a Friday, Saturday night. 
didn't give a damn about school. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't. I did school because we had to do school. I went and took my first math class. I knew I was no good in math, so I took calculus. I failed it three times. Not failed it. I failed the first test three times. Went to the academic lady and said, look, I need to find something that I can handle without any math. She said, Dan, the late, or not the late, the great Buzz Kirpius said, Dan, I got just the major for you. Telecommunications. No math. I'm in, baby. Yeah, I am. I'm in. When I was in high school, I said in the paper I wanted to be a lawyer. Why? Because I figured girls would want to hang out with a basketball player in Indiana who wants to be a lawyer. That just made sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? So one day in the summertime, this is so ridiculous. In the summertime, I had a class. It was an English class. It went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I had a little setup. I forget the actual days, but my buddy Billy went on Monday, let's say. Jimmy, the football player, Jimmy was a football. I'm not going to say their last names. It was me, Billy, Jimmy, and Steve. I went one day, Billy went one day, Jimmy went one day, Steve went one day. I thought this was a pretty clever plan. I mean, think about it. We're going to college. We got summer school. It's like an hour, 15-minute class. It's every day. It's a pain in the ass. And then what we would do would be on Thursdays, we would get ourselves together and pass out the notes. Now, tell me you wouldn't have done this. So Thursday, I'd get his notes, your notes, my notes. We'd have a couple beers. We'd go out. We'd get everybody's notes. I was getting a good grade. I was getting a B-plus. Now, for a 2.3 student, B-plus, my toes are tapping. You know, I... What can I tell you? B-plus ain't bad. And in the meantime, every day I would go over to Assembly Hall. This was 1984. The Olympic team was there. Jordan and uh, Ewing and Mullen and Leon Wood and Sam Perkins and Patrick. Yeah, it was great. So I would go there and watch either the Olympic trials or the Olympic team practice. Barkley, I think, was still on the team. I remember the day he got cut. But anyway, I would go over there. So I'm sitting there at practice. Knight would let, you know, us watch. And he might come over and sit down next to me and talk. And, you know, I'd, then I would come back at night. And the Indiana basketball players would work out, would play. Some former players would come back. We'd have great runs. And then, you know, you'd go out. It's college. Summertime. Bloomington, baby. We didn't really have to lift or do all the psychotic stuff that current coaches do. But one day it happened. One day, the phone call finally came. I was in my apartment. The phone rang. Coach Jimmy Cruz, hey, Danny. Everybody in Indiana, because Coach Knight called me Danny. Everybody in Indiana called me Danny. Hey, Danny, Coach Knight would like to see you. Come on over to the office. All right. Usually, as I hang up the phone, I would be shuffling through my brain. What did I do wrong? Where was I last night? Who was I with last night? What part of town was I in? And it would all be, you know how, you know what I mean. Ooh. I'm thinking, man, it, however, on this glorious day, I packed my shoes, my Adidas top tens. 
I pack, I don't know, some stuff, maybe some underwear, I can't remember, but I put a little bag together, just a little bag, not much, because Double D was going to get to practice with the United States Olympic team as a reward for showing up. I'm sure somebody got hurt. This was my brain, right? Somebody must have got hurt. Something happened. I'm going to get to practice. I am. Well, guess what? There's no phones in those days. There's no, hey, uh, nobody giving you a warning. Like we used to give warnings to players. Hey, man, just understand coach ain't happy. So just, you know. Well, we, I, we didn't do it in Indiana. We did it in Bowling Green. And then when I went back to Indiana. So anyway, I got to go into Coach Knight's office, right? And I walk into Coach Knight's office, and it was the first time I ever saw, ever, in my life, ever, saw Bob Knight sitting behind his desk. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. This ain't going to go good. This ain't going to go good as well at all. Ah, oh, crap. So... I walk in, hey, coach, how you doing? Beautiful summer day in Bloomington, hot. Dockage, sit down. Oh, dreams are dead. Because whenever I was in good form, it was Danny. Whenever I was in trouble, it was Dockage. Like, oh, man, come on, coach. Come on. Do you have, I forget, English, uh, it was like a, some kind of English class. Go, yeah. I got it. Yeah. When do you have it? I go Monday through Thursday, 1.30, Woodburn Hall. It was at Woodburn Hall. Hey, Danny. Or no. Hey, Doc, did you go into the class? I knew he had me. I knew he had me. I go, Coach, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. He goes, okay, tell me what you're doing. I go, I go on Monday. Billy goes on Tuesday. Jimmy goes on Wednesday. Steve goes on Thursday. We meet up on Thursday night and Thursday afternoon. Uh, and we go over the notes. And I got a B-plus in the class. And he looks, and now I think I have a reprieve. He goes, yeah, I see you got a B-plus. It's pretty good, especially for you. I'll never forget the especially for you. I go, yeah. And he goes to me, he goes, hey, aren't your parents teachers? I go, yeah, you know my dad's teacher, my mom. He goes, you're a really bad student for a guy with teachers. I go, coach, I I'm just finding my way. Something like that, right? He goes, that's great. He goes, and I got to tell you something. The Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday thing that everybody does, he goes, it's a pretty good idea. It's not a bad idea. I said, yeah? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's a good idea. He goes, I would have done it. I go, really? He goes, yeah, here's the deal, though. I pay for your summer school. Uh, you're not going to class. It's embarrassing for the basketball program. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pay me the $1,500 that I paid for that summer school class. I think it was a combination of $1,500 for the summer school class and the money that he gave me to live on for the summer. I think that's what it was. I'm not sure. But it was 1500 bucks, And he says to me, he goes, hey, and you're going to pay me on Monday or I'll give you an option. I'm like, yeah, this ought to be good. What's the option? He goes, well, the option is you can go starting tomorrow, work at the golf course at 6 a.m. Now, tomorrow was a Saturday. And I wasn't working on no damn golf course in the summer on a Saturday. My ass was going back to uh, uh, Maryville, Indiana, and I was playing in a softball tournament with all my boys. So I'm thinking to myself, I said, Coach, he goes, hey, hey, look, you're either going to be at the golf course at 6 a.m., ready to work, and work $1,500 off, 
or you're going to have a check on my desk at 9 o'clock or by 9 o'clock Monday morning, period. And if you don't do either, you got to transfer. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, really. He goes, you go to class here. I told you the first time we met you, blah, 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 blah. I'm screwed, right? Nobody wants to go work at a golf course during the summer. Nobody. And this was my summer between my junior and senior year. I had worked every summer. Now I didn't want to do that. So what do I do? I call my dad. Pops, I got a problem. I need your help. I'll pay you back. Can you get your hands on 1500 bucks? My dad had a line of credit. My dad, we were not very rich. Uh, and I'm shocked to this day he can get his hands on 1500 bucks. He said, all right. He goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, you get, I'll, I'll give it to you. He goes, but you're going to pay me back at 10% interest. I said, that's cool. I said, okay. Well, I'm coming home. Uh, so guess what? I drove home. I spent the weekend to a very, very cold father. A very upset father. Actually, now that I look at it, a somewhat embarrassed father. But you know what I did? I got that 1500 Drove back on Sunday, boom, I was there at 9 o'clock in the morning, put it on his desk, told him, I, look, this is my dad is also charging me 10% interest. And he started laughing. He goes, he is? I go, yeah. He goes, good. So 10% interest would be another 150 bucks. Now, I don't know where the hell I got the money, but I got it. I did. I didn't pay him back that summer, but you make damn sure that I paid him back so I am the only guy in college basketball history that paid their coach. Now, I don't know what Knight did with the check. I don't even know if I put Knight's name on the check. I can't really remember. I just know I had 15 large. I was giving it to him, and I was done. D-U-N. Done. I didn't. Done. And you know what I did two weeks later? True story. I went home, played in a softball tournament. We went out after, had a few beers. I didn't feel like driving back. I missed class the next Monday, two Mondays ago, two Mondays. Jimmy Cruz calls me, he goes, how stupid are you? I go, I don't know. I go, I don't know how stupid I am, but I think I'm really stupid. He goes, you missed class. You just paid 1500 bucks. I go, coach, I had car trouble on I-65. I had no way to tell anybody. That's why I'm here. I'm here in this. I, I wanted to tell you. He goes, no, you didn't. I go, why do you know? He goes, I saw your car out there. I go, ah. Stupid. That's why I always respected, always respected the fact that when players screw up, I was always pretty lenient to a degree on it. Yeah, but it is the difference between Coach Knight calling me Danny and Coach Knight calling me Dockage. And that lasted 16 years. 16 years, whenever I heard Dockage, I knew I was in trouble. Whenever I heard, hey, Danny. Danny, come here. All right. Hey, Danny, I need you to do something. All right, no problem. Hey, Dockage, get over here. Oh. Man, oh, man. Like a lot of you go with your mother, right? Your mother says, hey, look, uh, Daniel John, Leanne Marie, 
get over here. Andrew Daniel, get, you know. But with Coach Knight, it was always Danny or Dan. True story. I got a lot of them, actually. All right, here's the deal. The NBA tonight. You all are going to make a mistake tonight. These are our fades. Our fades tonight, you're going to make a mistake. You're either going to bet on the Philadelphia 76ers, minus seven and a half, and lose, or you can be smart enough to bet taking the seven and a half and the Raptors, or you're not going to bet it. One of those three. I'm giving you two winners tonight. The first winner I'm giving you is you're going to take the Raptors, you're going to take seven and a half points, and you're going to cover it. You are. Or you're going to say, hold on a second. I'm going to take over 215 and a half in the Raptors game. One of those, one of three things is going to help you tonight. One, don't bet it. Two, take the Raptors minus or plus seven and a half. Or three, go over 115 and a half. Last time it was 131 to 111. Now, when I looked at this game, I said to myself, this is probably a 220-ish game, 220 to 225, somewhere 222, somewhere like that. When I saw it was at 215 and a half, I thought, look, I understand defensive adjustments. I understand that Maxi isn't going to go nuts on him. But I'm telling you right now, Toronto will show. Toronto has a lot of pride. Toronto got embarrassed. Maxi lost his mind. Toronto may be up at half, so it is not going to be a bad thing if you take a first-half line of four. I got it at four right here in the first half. I mean, I don't know if it's the best bet. Actually, I got it at four and a half. That might be the best bet of the day. Plus four and a half is a pretty damn good bet. First half is plus 10 and is, my, is over 110 and a half, which is interesting because that means the second half they're looking at at 105. This is a weird game. Don't discount Toronto, particularly in the first half tonight. I will be shocked. Shocked, I say. Shocked. If all of a sudden Toronto doesn't play well. They got embarrassed. Maxie lost his mind. Their game plan other than that was pretty damn good. Uh, Next thing you know, it isn't because, oh, boy, the Philadelphia 76ers ran it out, and it was over. But that's not happening tonight. Seven and a half is a lot of points usually in a playoff game. Take the seven and a half. Make sure you take it. get that hook, too. Get that hook. Make them beat you by eight. And I also am going to take the Raptors plus four and a half in the first half. I just think the Raptors come out with a lot of pride and play really well. The game that I do like for you all, really like, I'll take the Utah Jazz. I'll give the Dallas Mavericks five. I thought Dallas played pretty hard. I thought Dallas played effectively. I thought Dallas did what they could do without Luka Doncic, but I don't think you can sustain that. I think there's a big difference in getting blown out in the first game, being a prideful organization, and coming back and playing a second game. There is a big difference between that and knowing as a team that you played pretty well in the first game like Dallas did against Utah. They did. They played okay. I'm not saying they played great, but I'm saying they played okay. They lost by six. They battled hard. Look, Derek Brunson is a terrific player. But the truth of the matter is, 
Uh, Utah is going to win this game, and Utah may blow them out today. I'm going to take this five and a half, and I'm not going to bet. I'm not quite going to bet DoorDash money, but I'm going to give the five and a half. I'm going to just hopefully get it. I'm going to get it actually right now as I'm talking to you because I don't want that to go up. And it's not five and a half, ladies and gentlemen. It's five. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that because I do believe it'll get to five and a half. I do believe it'll get up more. The other game that I'm interested in is, is Denver. Like Denver, to me, you can always get blown out by Golden State. Golden State can always whoop up on you nice. But Golden State minus seven. That's a lot of points. Again, I go back to Denver. Very prideful. They do have the uh, reigning MVP. Whether he's the MVP this year or not, I don't know. And Luka Doncic. Not Luka Doncic. What's wrong with me? Nikolai Jokic. And they got blown out. Look, the, the, <laughs> I'm t- the Golden State with Jordan Poole, it's a little bit like Maxi. 30 points from Poole isn't expected. Golden State beat him. What they beat him? By 16, and it was pretty much that all day. I think there's a lot of pride. So I'm going to take two underdogs today. I'm going to take the Nuggets, and I'll take the seven. I am going to take uh, the favorite in Utah. I will give the five. And I am going to take the Raptors, and I'll take seven and a half right now. Look, the NBA playoffs, kind of difficult, right? There's psychology involved here. The Raptors, the psychology is, we're a prideful organization. Let's go. The Sixers, the psychologists, we just beat the hell out of these guys. These guys ain't good. That's how I go about betting when I'm trying to win. When I'm trying to win, I think of these things. And during the NCAA tournament, I never lost sight of that. I never got what I call loose. I never got loose. I never went to my FanDuel account and got loose, meaning I'm just going to bet it. Uh, A year ago, I got really loose. I didn't think. I just bet what basically I'm watching the game. and I'm like, ah, Purdue's going to win. And I put too much money on him. I put too much money on Ohio State. And I put too much money on Texas. Lost. 4,000. This year, won. 4,100. Because I didn't get loose. I'm not getting loose here today. Not. I'm not mad at the over-under of 215 and a half. I'm not mad at the over-under, excuse me, of 205 in the Jazz Detroit or uh, Dallas game. I'm not mad about it. 205 is not a bad number. Now, they didn't hit it the first time. They only got uh, to 192, but they can get the 205. You're certainly not going to play under at 205. And then in the Nuggets game, I don't know. Uh, it went to 230 last time. It's 222 this time. I might take that as well. Jokic didn't make a three. He'll make a three in this game. Bet that too. But anyway... As long as you don't get loose, you got a real chance here. Just don't. If you're watching the game and you see something, do that. But just don't get freaking loose. A couple of other things before we go. I got to thank Jimmy Boylan. And I also, I've also got to thank our friend Chad Withrow. The USFL's on tonight, baby. And if you have tickets and you're watching this, uh, those tickets. You can use them tonight. USFL had lightning and all that stuff, which you know is going to happen. I mean, of course it's going to happen. But the USFL, let me go through it. The Tampa Bay-Pittsburgh game rescheduled for tonight, 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. Fans holding tickets for yesterday's game can attend by presenting yesterday's tickets. 
I'm going to watch. I don't know who to bet. I'm not, I'm not getting loose. I will not get loose with my USL betting, but I will tell you, we will bet the USFL. Uh, this afternoon, you can check my act out, uh, noon to 3 on 1075thefan.com or wherever you get Spotify. Sean Salisbury is going to join us. I wish I could get Sean on this show. He is a football savant, but his show in Houston runs concurrently with my show right here. So we have them on on Mondays. You want to talk NFL quarterbacks? You want to talk dating Heather Locklear? Sean Salisbury has got all of the stories, baby. Uh, Jimmy Boylan was fantastic. If you missed any part of our show, just go to my Twitter handle, go to the Outkick Twitter handle, go to YouTube. It'll all be up. I retweet it all day because I'm uber competitive and I want more views than anybody in the history of the world. I need your help with this. Do me a favor. Jennifer, what are you doing? Sean Black, help me out here. Put the show out on Twitter. Let's get this thing going. My thanks to all the folks that got on the YouTube chat as well. Ryan, you're awesome. Dylan, fantastic. We'll be right back here, right in this seat, God willing, tomorrow. Dockage out.